well, it is my desire to, in some way, uh, try to follow up from Brother Pastor Jeff. And how do you follow up from him? How do you follow up from such a, a blessed, gifted preacher like him? I still remember the first time I heard him preach. Uh, he was preaching in Hebrews. And he was the very definition of what Charles Spurgeon said about John Bunyan, the Puritan, that his blood was bibline, that his blood was biblical. Every word that come, came, comes out of his mouth, you, you kind of wonder, is he quoting scripture? It just makes flow so naturally from him. But yes, it is my desire to try and build up a, or to continue and build upon the, what Pastor Jeff said to us uh, this morning. And we do very much pray for him as he is recovering. The highest, um, there is a sense in our culture, isn't there? A sense in our culture that we are, that everyone is trying to one-up everyone. Trying to climb up, climb up the corporate ladder. Trying to get to a position of status and notoriety in, in the social ladder. It's an ongoing, an onslaught of trying to, to reach to newer heights and to higher heights. And as I was hearing this passage preached to us this morning, I realized that the highest place that a, a human being can hope to ascend, the highest place a person can hope to be, it is at the Savior's feet. There's no higher place than that. It is there that we find shelter for our souls in the, in the various crossings of our uh, windy uh, lives, of our stormy lives. It is there that we find safety for our heart as we face terrors, as we face difficulties. Because it is at Christ's feet that we find the infinite source of joy, peace, stability, even even when tears are rolling down our eyes, rolling down our faces, it is at the feet of Jesus that we find the comfort that we need. This is the great truth of the Christian life. This is the great truth of being a Christian. And it can be seen so brilliantly, so beautifully in this passage, in the life of Mary as a whole, but in particular in this passage in Luke chapter uh, 10. She appears only three times in the, in the accounts of the Gospels. Only three times she appears. But the three times that we read that Mary, uh, also known as Mary of Bethany, appears in Scripture, we are told that she is a, at Jesus' feet. The first place where we see her, we looked at this morning, she is at the Savior's feet, listening to his teaching listening to what Jesus had to say. As Martha, as we looked this morning, was distracted. What a word. What, a, what, a, what an indictment. She had the Savior 
of the world in her presence. She had the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in her, present, in her presence. And she was distracted. She was hustling and bustling around the house. She, she, she was trying to, to get food on the table, to, to prepare a supper for the Lord. And while Martha was all around distracted, running all around distracted, there is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to the teachings that came out of the mouth of the word of life incarnate. Martha was very disturbed. She was upset. She pleaded for Jesus to intervene, to say something, do something. Can't you see that she's doing no work? She's idling, uh, sitting at your feet. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, why are you fretting and worrying about these many things? You're worrying about so many things, but one thing is needed. One thing is needed. That is the, the, the passage. That is, the, that is the, the, not the passage, the, the main point that I want to make to you today. The one thing needed for every believer, for every sinner. The one thing needed. And again, our brother said this morning that scripture is awkward at times. It doesn't flow from the places where we or to the places that we would usually expect it to flow. It's probably a place. It's probably how we can see the divine inspiration of Scripture. Even here, it's like, what is exactly the one thing needed that Jesus is talking about? What is implied? In what Martha was doing, that she had found the one thing needed that cannot be taken away from her, that can never be robbed from her. Martha found it, and I want you all to look at it and find it, perhaps for the first time, perhaps not for the first time. Perhaps you have found it already in years past, but you have uh, since lost track of that one thing needed that is still there. But that because of your distraction has not brought comfort, the comfort that it brings into your life. The one thing needed is for us to sit at the Lord Jesus' feet and to hear his teaching. Because it is at Jesus' feet that we can forget about the cares that distract us. Martha was cumbered she was distracted. She was, uh, her mind was being attracted by all kinds of different things. And when your mind is attracted by all kinds of different things, you're distracted. Mary was sitting calmly, listening to the words of Jesus. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus would want us to do? To come into his presence. To sit quietly at his feet. To learn from him. And to see the burdens of, of our life being taken away. The cares being taken away. Because we are at the place where our burdens are taken away. At Jesus' feet. It would be very good for us all to learn this. Because when we focus our attentions on him, on Christ. We realize that other things become very dim. We were looking in the last few uh, weeks we are, we were a few months or so ago we were going through the book of Philippians isn't that what Paul says to the Philippians 
when he says to them, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that the same point that Paul makes there? How is it that we become anxious for nothing? By coming to the Lord with our prayers and petitions. By, by sitting at Christ's feet. Isn't that what brought peace into the life of Job? When everything was happening around him. When all the, those difficulties were happening. What is it that Job says? What is it that Job says? Job chapter 1. Verse 20 and 21. Job says. He arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Where did Job find comfort? In the fact that he had the Lord. In the fact that he could be at the Lord's feet with his prayers, with his petitions. It is at the Lord's feet that our souls are fed. I don't think it's a, a, a coincidence that this whole setting between Martha and Mary revolves around food. Here's one preoccupied with the nourishment of the body, and there's another one. The contrast is meant to be seen and emphasized. Here's another one. There are, is looking for food, yes. Is looking for food, nourishment, yes. But she's looking for nourishment for the soul. For food, that can, for food for her soul. She wants her soul to be fed in the presence of the Lord. At his feet we have nourishment for our, for our souls. We find the, the food that strengthens us for our journeys. You wonder how many, why many Christians are weak and lacking and frail. I submit to you that perhaps they are not spending enough time at the feet of Jesus. They are not spending enough time praying to him, seeking his presence. They are not spending enough time being fed by him. If we don't feed our, our bodies, our, our bodies will, will fade away, will die, will we'll die. It's the same thing with our spirits. We must have soul food. We must have food for our souls. Otherwise, we will dry spiritually. Paul says to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved by God, a worker who does not to be, need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing, what? The word of truth. Job says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have not departed from his words. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job says. Peter says that as newborn babies, we should desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. We cannot feed ourselves in the filth and the, and the fast food of this world. And expect to grow. It is at the feet of Jesus. And it is at the feet of Jesus. That we learn to focus our priorities. I believe that Martha learned this. Uh, that Mary learned this. And perhaps Martha as well. After this encounter. Martha is distracted. Martha is distracted by all kinds of different things. But not Mary. 
Mary had her priorities straight. She understood what she was very needful for her. And it is the case. The more time we spend at Jesus' feet, the easier it is to make him a priority in our life. Part of the reason why Jesus is not a priority in your life is because you don't, have not been spending enough time at his feet. Because the larger he gets in your eyes, the easier it becomes. The, the larger he gets in your eyes, the smaller the other things that distract you in this world will look. Are you spending enough time at Jesus' feet? Is he a pressing priority in your life? Are you praying enough? Are you seeking him enough? This is the first place where we find Mar Mary at Jesus' feet. But then in John 11, and now I have the, the correct reference in this, John eleven thirty two. we then find her again. We find her again. It says, Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It is at the feet of the Savior that we find comfort for our sorrows. It is at the feet of our Savior that we find consolation for our souls. At the feet of Jesus, we find a place of supplication. I don't need to give you the context. Or I don't need to expound the context too much here. You know what's been happening. Grief and sorrow had just come into this house in Bethany. This same house that we read in, in Luke chapter 10. That was so full of life that day. Now grief and sorrow had come upon that uh, same house. Mary was now... In grieving the loss of her brother Lazarus, Jesus was told that Lazarus had fallen ill and he was about to die. Jesus was warned, he did not arrive in time, according to the wisdom of this world. He did it and delayed. He took him four days to make a journey that should have taken him no more than 30 minutes to an hour. It took him four days. Of course, Martha, of course, Mary is saying, Lord, where have you been? And as Jesus arrives in Bethany, he sends for Mary. She sends, she calls upon, for her. And as she comes near to Jesus, she falls down and prostrates herself at the feet of Jesus once again. Why? Because she had learned already that it is at the feet of Jesus that consolation, that comfort can come. Yeah, she had heard his wisdom. She had heard his words of comfort. She had met with, been at Jesus' feet to learn. And now she, has a, she is at Jesus' feet to weep, weep. And Jesus was moved. In one of the most striking passages in the New Testament, we read that Jesus himself, he wept. He wept. He wept.
But he did not only weep. He ordered that the tombstone that was laying and where Lazarus' stinking body was already for two days. He ordered the stone to be moved and he shouted. And he shouted and he declared, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, a dead man, heard his voice. Lazarus rose from the dead. Life triumphed over death. And tears of sadness were turned into laughter and joy. Our sorrow may last for a night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. Jesus wiped away the tears of Mary. He was at Jesus' feet again. That Mary learned an important lesson. She learned that Jesus is able to see. That he sees. That he knows our need. It is at the feet of of the Savior that she understood that her sorrows were meant to be treated. It is at the feet of the Savior that a fountain of life, joy, peace was opened and gushed forth into her life. Because Jesus takes an interest. He, he, he knows the needs of his people and he calls for them. Look at verse 28. But when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary's sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. He calls. He calls. And we need to understand that about the nature, the character of our Savior is that he cares. He deeply cares. He deeply cares. He would not have come into this world if he did not care for his people. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me tell you this. If you're a Christian, do never allow the blasphemous sentiment or idea that Christ does not care for you, that God does not care for what you're going through. He cares. He cares more than you can imagine. He probably cares more than you care about it. He is extremely interested. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. As we read in the, in the psalm, though he is high in the, in, the, in the call to worship this evening, though he is high, he pays attention to the lowly ones. This tells us that the Lord is looking down at our lives. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And one of them falls to the ground without your... And not, one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And he invites, he calls, he, he called for Mary. He knew her situation. He called and she responded and she came because she knew what was there to be found at our Lord's feet. And that's what the Lord calls upon his children, his people to do. 
He says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. He's calling right now. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come to Christ. Are you pressed down by, 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 the, by the weightiness of the, of the distractions of this world like Martha was? Listen to him. Come to him. You only need one thing. The one thing that Mary found. Sit at his feet. Come to him. Cast your care upon him. He cares for you. Cast your burden upon the Lord, says the psalmist, and he shall sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Bishop J.C. Riley said, means are to be used diligently, without question in time of need. Doctors are to be sent for in sickness. Lawyers are to be consulted when property or character needs defense. The help of all friends is to be sought. But still, after all, the first thing to be done is to cry to the Lord Jesus for help. Isn't it astounding that the person who can do the most, that the, the, the help that we so desperately need, the, the one that can fix everything, the one that can make a dead man rise from the grave two days after, isn't it astounding he, that he is the last one that, to whom we turn when in our time of need? should be a conviction in there, in us. That he is the last place to, to whom we turn. He is the last one that we seek. We often treat prayer after we exhausted all other possibilities well I guess I don't have anything else to do now I better pray I better go and sit at Jesus' feet now in verse 29 it says that when Mary heard that the Savior was calling that Jesus was calling as soon as she heard that she arose quickly and came to him. What a lesson, brothers and sisters. What a lesson for us. That we would run quickly to Christ. That he would be our first port of, port of call in our time of crisis. When we need help. That we would run quickly to him. And we see what the Lord does. We know what the Lord did in this passage. He prayed, he answered, he met the needs, he fed, and he, he consoled and comfort, comforted this, this sorrowful woman at his feet. He prayed, he interceded with the Father. And again, he does the same for you and me tonight. For anyone who will come to him, he will intercede before the Father. He is also able to save you to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, he always lives to make intercession for them. Who is he who condemns, Paul says. Who is he that condemns the believer? Who is he that condemns the son and the daughter of Christ, of God, the, the brother and sister of Christ? Who is he that condemns them? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, he is also risen. 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let it be known to you as we consider this, that Christ cares, that Christ hears, and that Christ pleads our case before the Father. At the feet of Jesus, Mary understood. Mary understood that Christ had a purpose. That's why it took him so long. Because Christ wanted to show her something. That there was a purpose. After this whole episode happened, Mary understood. Mary understood the purposes of Jesus. So it is with us. We are not always able to understand every single point of, of God's providence. And we are not meant to understand every single point of God's providence. But we are to trust. Only in heaven we will understand fully and clearly everything. But when we are called to pass through the storms of this life. When we are called to, 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 to be in the dust and the ashes like Job was. We need to remind ourselves like Job reminded himself. That he is God. Isn't it interesting that Job went through all of that? Through all, through all of that sorrow, through all of that loss, through all of that storm, through all of those storms, he endured all that just to be reminded that God is God. Mary at the feet of Jesus learned of Jesus' power once again. She learned that he could raise even the dead to life. And we at the feet of Jesus can learn exactly the same thing. He is able to do miracles still today. And when we learn this truth, it increases our faith. It helps us to trust him. To trust his power. To trust his character. So when we face fiery trials of this life, let us not grow despondent or discouraged. Let us not become unbelievers in practice. Let us trust the Lord. Let us cling even closer to his feet like Mary did. Because we will learn at that moment how he cares for us. It is the story of the Bible. The people of God going through difficulties and finding comfort at the Lord's in the Lord's presence think of Noah think of Sadrach Mezach and Abednego think of Daniel the New Testament think of the 12 disciples in the boat it's as they go through those storms that they actually find that Christ is even greater than they first thought something of Christ gets even bigger in their eyes even larger in their understandings. Who is this who even the, the, the winds obey his voice? Mary understood the greatness of the Lord by being at his feet. And thirdly and lastly, it was at the Savior's feet. She was at the Savior's feet to honor him for his glorious deeds. John chapter 12, we read of the anointing. In that same house, probably. In that same house, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. Once again, she stands at the feet of the Savior. The three times that we hear of Mary of Bethany. The three times she is at the feet of the Savior. 
and she pours out an expensive perfume, a precious perfume of immense value. She pours out all this rare and expensive perfume over Jesus' head and then wipes his feet with her hair. Again, there she is tending to her master's feet. She wants to express her gratitude. She did what was best for the master. She sacrificially gave him that perfume that was being prepared, that had been prepared. Perhaps she was a, usually apparently the the tradition was that you would uh, single uh, women uh, before they got married, they would start accumulating these kind of things. And this was a perfume that was only to be used in a wedding night for her, her honeymoon. And she goes and pours out this expensive perfume at Jesus' feet. Even when misunderstood, even by the, the disciples of Jesus, who were saying, oh, she's wasting that. Stop her, Master. She's wasting that, that, that expensive gift. Mary is there at the feet of Jesus, doing the right thing for the right person at the right time. And you ask, how is she, was she able to do the right thing for the right person at the right time? Because she had spent her life, or the last few months of her life, at the Savior's feet. She understood the Master. You see, when you spend time at the Savior,
It's only the, uh, when you become a disciple of Christ. It's only when you sit and learn from him. Who is humble. And gentle. And meek. It's only when you learn from him. It's only when you become his disciple. That you will be saved from this wrath to come. And there is life at the feet of Jesus. There is life for one look at the Savior, the simplest, the slightest of touches of Christ who is able to, to heal you. And all depends entirely upon the sinner's Savior. May God bring you to his feet if you're not yet a believer. If you're not yet a disciple of Christ, may, be, may this be the day that you bow down Low at the feet of Jesus. I promise you this will be the day that you rise to the heights. That no man can rise outside of Christ. But I think I need to labor this point as well. To be at the feet of Jesus is needful for the saint as well. The one thing needed for the sinner is the one thing needed for the saint. We begin by grace and we carry on by grace. How is it that we think that we can be saved and not be rooted? Or that we can be branches that bear much fruit and yet not be connected to the root that is Christ, the Savior? Let us not, never think that we can be disciples without sitting at Jesus' feet. It is indeed what it means to be a disciple. It is indeed what it means to be a Christian. To be at the Savior's feet, to learn from Him. Spurgeon said that you cannot slay the enemy by throwing away your sword. And nearness to Christ is your battle axe and weapons of war. You have lost your power when you have left your Lord. One thing is need, needful. is to be next and close to the Lord. If we leave, live close to Christ, if we live near to Christ... We have everything we need because when we abide in him, he abides in us. When, he, when his word abides in us, we shall go and bring forth much fruit. When he abides in us, we will experience heaven on earth. Heaven will be in us before we are in heaven. Never think otherwise. You cannot be in heaven tomorrow if heaven is not in you today. What is needed for us is for Christ to be our portion. And there is only one portion. There is only one thing needed, Christ said. One thing. It's him. He is our portion, and we are his portion. His portion is the Lord's people, the ones that the Father has given to him. The psalmist said, one thing I have desired. You know that psalm, right? Psalm 27. One thing I have desired that I will seek. One thing I have desired. I think Martha had something of this in her. Martha probably was thinking of this psalm. If not, at, when she was 
seeking the Lord like this. One thing I've desired, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Martha, if she didn't have this psalm in mind, she perfectly illustrates it. She lived it out in, in, in her life or in those last or in those moments that are recorded for us in, this passage, in these passages. One thing she wanted, and that was what she was seeking. No matter what the, her sister was saying, no matter what uh, the circumstances of the death of her brother was, was doing to her, no matter what the disciples were saying, she wanted to be at the Lord's feet. And she pushed for it. And the one thing she desired and that she sought We are such a distracted people, such a distracted generation. And you know what? As I was preparing myself in this, in this, uh, this afternoon, for the, I went back and I searched sermon audio, the wonders of, of technology. Uh, and I searched Jeff Thomas. And I put this passage, Luke chapter 10, into the... Into the into the search engine and there came a sermon by him the great part uh, also changed from what he preached this morning but in great part the same points that he was hitting with us he was uh, he was preaching uh, to his congregation in there in Aberystwyth all those years ago and I think it would be appropriate if you don't mind for me to use his words since this sermon started with him uh, to close with his words in it, as we get to the end of this sermon. I'm sure it's going, to do, it's going to sound much better than whatever I could say. He says, we are a distracted people. And the cure for distraction is attraction. And that is attraction in one direction. Not distraction in many directions. To the one Lord, not to many lords. To be attracted to the pearl of great price, to the altogether lovely one, to the lily of the valley, to be consumed by the loveliest of 10,000. Mary has understood this, and Jesus blesses her for understanding. I am urging you all and myself to do something in light of this word from the Lord to you today. Begin tonight to take time and sit at Jesus' feet. Will you do that? Then it won't be very important what you remember of today's sermons or what you carry away with you to the lunchtime table. Because if you begin growing, uh, a growing, deepening relationship with our Lord and sit at his feet, he will take you on from grace to grace and from glory to glory. Wonderful words. Leonard Ravenhill once said this, If I had spent... More time alone with God, rather than preaching and planning how I was going to change the world, I would be a very different man. So brethren, I say to you, one thing is needed. The one thing that is needed is for us to sit at his feet today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. And I pray that the God would grant that to every one of us.